You are listening to the FDNY Pro Podcast, featuring members of the New York City Fire Department. We want to share stories from the field, best practices, lessons learned, and help save lives. Welcome to the FDNY Pro Podcast. I'm your host, Chief of Staff Elizabeth Cassio. As the number of women at the fire department continues to grow, more are making their way into leadership roles. It's a trend that you see across the nation as more women pursue careers in public safety. Here at the FDNY, women are also making inroads in some of the department's more highly specialized areas. Joining us now is Deputy Chief Natalia Palunin of EMS Operations. While we will get into your bio in a second, you were most notably the first woman to be the commanding officer of FDNY HazTech. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for having me here. So before we get into your role at HazTech, why don't we start with how you came to EMS? Well, I started in 2002, in April of 2002, and it was kind of by chance that I even ended up in, in EMS. I had just graduated from a computer programming school and I couldn't find a job. It was the end of 1999, the whole Y2K bug. Mm. So I ended up working in a medical office and uh, one of the nurses in that office was a former lieutenant from FDNY, an EMS lieutenant. And he was telling me all these great stories and um, I was like, hey, why don't I just go and join FDNY? (laughs) And I did. And uh, now 20 years later, (laughs) I still have him to thank. Oh, that's awesome. Where did you first work when you joined? When I graduated, I went to Station 58 in Brooklyn, in Canarsie, Brooklyn, and I spent a few years there. And that's where you and I become acquainted when I arrived in 2005. If I'm remembering correctly, you were on 58 Ida. You are remembering correctly. 58 Ida was one of the units that I was on for, for a good amount of time. I think we sort of lost track of each other when I went to the academy right. for a couple of years. I was teaching, and then uh, I went through a paramedic basic program and ended up back at 58. (laughs) It felt like home. It's like coming home. Ultimately, you promote to lieutenant, and that's when you get HazTech training? Yes. So tell us, what is HazTech? So HazTech is, it's a battalion, so it's not just response to hazardous materials. It's also tactical response. So uh, it's a combination of a number of things. It's the rescue component, the marine component, the hazmat component. So it's fun. It sounds like fun. How would you characterize the training? Oh, the training is absolutely intense. It's it's designed to test your ability to operate in these high-stress environments, Mm -hmm. to be able to focus and concentrate on the task and be able to do it safely because you're never working alone. You're always working with a bunch of other people. And not just EMS, fire as well. So everybody has to be safe in that environment, and every individual counts. Every individual contributes. Right. So it's very precise. You mm-hmm. have to be on top of your game to be Did able to do it. Did you find it physically intense? It was physically intense. It was, there, was, there was quite a few times where I would go to myself, I can't believe I did that. <laughs> <laughs> did you ever feel like giving up? I don't know I ever felt like giving up, but I remember being so tired just going through training, especially rescue training. You know, hazmat training has its own inherent challenges, but rescue is very, very physical. I just remember being tired, being mentally exhausted, going home after 10 hours a day, not just mentally from like doing all these skills, but from the high stress environments that you're being always put into. 
and physically being exhausted and just passing out and then getting up in the morning and doing it all over again. So, uh, But you hung in there and you eventually I, yeah, get I certified. Did. I did, yes. At that point, you're a lieutenant in this role now. Do you get reassigned to the Haztec command as a lieutenant? I did, yes. I was offered a position uh, when I graduated from, uh, from the program, and I took it. It was one of the best decisions I've ever made. That's fantastic. How long did you spend in Haztec as a lieutenant before you get promoted to captain? I was there for about a year, maybe a little bit more than that, before I promoted to captain. And then you get promoted to captain, and where do you end up working at that point? I ended up spending a little time again in Division Three in Brooklyn, and uh, then I finally got a command at Station 40 in Brooklyn South, part of Division 5. Mm -hmm. How long are you there before they appoint you to Haztec again? I want to say I was there for a couple of years mm -hmm. before a position opened up. <laughs> At Hashtag. A posting came out the usual way department, you know, sends the notifications, and uh, I applied for that position. How did that go? <laughs> what was that process like? It probably wasn't as physical, right? Um, I definitely would not say that at all. Really? Oh, my goodness. So uh, there are certain standards that everybody has to conform to, and part of it is your ability to operate on air with SCBA, and that has to be refreshed. I believe every 12 months, mm -hmm. the rescue certification every 18 months. Okay. I was out of the program for so long that all my certifications lapsed, and uh. I had to do it all from the beginning. <laughs> Let me tell you, it's a little bit easier the second time around. <laughs> Maybe not physically, but mentally, it's a little bit easier. <laughs> and clearly you were successful, or I you was. couldn't have gotten the position as the commanding officer, right? Yes, yes. And so you get appointed as the first woman to be commanding officer of Haztec. What's that experience like? How did it feel? To me, it didn't really matter because just taking a different position, I've moved several times during my career. To me, it wasn't anything different. I was just going to be a commanding officer of something different. Yes, this something different was going to be Haztec Battalion. So it's inherently different than the command I previously had, but I didn't think of myself in a different terms. Mm. You know, I'm just me. It's another experience. It's another challenge. It's different work. So I was interested in that. Mm -hmm. How long do you spend in the Haztec command? I was there for another year or so before I promoted to deputy chief. How would you describe your experience? Do you feel like you were treated any differently? Or do you feel like you were embraced as any other commanding officer would have been? I think I was embraced. I think part of it is that I wasn't unknown to any of the people within the battalion. Mm -hmm. When I came back to Hashtag Battalion, the whole crew was different. Oh. So the officers were different. We kind of all got promoted at the same time. Mm -hmm. There was like four or five of us that got promoted in the same class. The battalion has changed, but the members that came up, they used to be the same medics that I was working with as a hashtag lieutenant. So nobody was unknown to me. Mm -hmm. And I think that that always makes it easier to right. integrate because it wasn't for them to change and try to do things my way. It was for me to change and work with them right. because the battalion was different. The dynamic was a little bit different. But... Um, I don't think that any of them treated me differently, and I certainly didn't feel that way when I was working with any of the members. And it also helped that 
again, the experiences as a lieutenant within the battalion and working with my fire counterparts, we already had a relationship. We've done several jobs together. So again, I was not a brand new face and we had a certain rapport. Right. So I think it made things much, much easier. It does. I find that when you do these training sessions of fire and EMS, right, because we have different disciplines and we don't typically do training together, but when we do, it helps to develop a rapport and relationship so that when we are on the scene of the same emergency, everything seems to move more smoothly. It does. It does. I think training is very important, and I like the idea of training of all parts because in rescue environments nobody's working by themselves so EMS is not going to go without the fire rescue and fire obviously needs EMS to treat the patients Mm -hmm. so when we are working together and we understand that we are a team and we understand the responsibilities of each individual within that team it builds trust so on EMS side we have to trust fire to like in a collapse, to shore up, right? to create an environment, a safe environment that we can work in. And then they have to trust us that when we go into this environment, we're not going to make it collapse on top of everybody else. Not only just working on a patient, but as a team working right. on everybody. Obviously, it's not something that's high frequency, right? but it's super stressful. And training is what prepares all of us for, for those environments. Hazmat's just a little different. When I was uh, a lieutenant at Hasdaq, we had uh, the whole Ebola scare. So we did several jobs that we transported as Ebola patients. Mm -hmm. Obviously, only one in reality had Ebola, but uh, quite a few of them had the potential. So we suited up and and we did those transports as if this was an Ebola patient. And that was very integrated with Hazmat on the fire side. So those relationships were there as well. Mm -hmm. And that helps. It does help. Kind of sidetracked into the Ebola scare. Of all of the experiences you've had across your career, how would you characterize that particular one? And would your perspective change a little from how you felt at that time about it to how you feel now having lived through the COVID response as well? I don't think it, it changed. Again, part of the training is it's also learning your equipment and trusting your equipment. Mm. The more you train, the more comfortable you become with this equipment. So I think there was always a level of comfort knowing that the protective suit that I'm wearing is going to protect me. (laughs) I just have to stay within these guidelines, you know. I have to make sure I don't rip it. I can't start panicking and rip you know, my face piece off, or the same for the members, you know, because really I was in a supervisory role. Mm -hmm. So um, the same kind of with COVID is trusting the equipment that we have. Obviously, we had a lot of challenges. There wasn't enough of equipment, and we just had so much COVID patients out there that it was just insane for a little time there. But knowing that there are steps that I can take to keep myself safe and my, my family safe, I think to me it was comforting. I think if, if anything, my training has helped me deal with, with COVID and just in general because I was more comfortable with all of this equipment. Right. And uh, in general, I felt comfortable knowing that I can protect myself. 
So, Chief, explain to our listeners when a HAZTAC unit is called to the scene, whether that's the basic life support unit, the medics, rescue, various lieutenants or captain, what type of emergency are they responding to that this special training they've received is necessary? So we have um, HASTAC units, HASTAC Zebra, and Rescue Unit. HASTAC units are our EMTs trained to operate or uh, uh, provide medical care to patients who may be exposed to hazardous materials. The same goes for our Zebras. They are paramedics, but the same level of training. And the Rescue Medics, they actually hold both trainings. A prerequisite to being a rescue is being HASTAC trained. Mm. So the jobs that our members respond to, so it could be anything from CO leaks to ammonia leaks, which we get at the skating rinks. We actually had a a job, it was a CO leak, and our members actually was rescue paramedics that arrived on scene first, because usually we are not the first ones on scene for these jobs. Usually fire arrives on scene first, but this was not the case. And they had a confirmation that there was a person, a man in, in the basement that the rest of the occupants of the house knew for certain he was there. So they ended up going on air with the SCBA packs and removing that individual from that basement. And so he was overcome by carbon monoxide? Yes, he was. Yes. So, uh, and he lived. He lived to tell the story. So he was unconscious when they removed him, but um, he ended up going to a hyperbaric chamber and uh, surviving this incident. But some of the other jobs that our members respond to are trench collapses, building collapses, explosions. They respond to all high-rise fires. We actually have now procedures in place where the members of rescue task force, they set up a floor or two floors below the fire floor and provide care to the patients right there on scene, mm-hmm. or sometimes they shelter in place and treat for a prolonged period of time, depending on the fire operations. Mm-hmm. We also do, or hashtag does, <laughs> marine jobs, working closely with marine battalions. So we have our members go in on the boats, and they provide patient care in those environments. There was a, a notably a big job where uh, there was a sick individual on a cruise ship, and our members responded with Marine Battalion and removed that individual off the cruise ship. So this was a cruise ship sailing out of port Mm -hmm. when the individual became very, very ill. And uh, there was no way to turn the ship around and bring it back to port. So those are some challenges too, because you have to line up the two, the two boats and they're they're not the same size. (laughs) So there are some, some challenges associated with that as well. And, um, they were successful in, in, in that operation as well. And of course, they respond to numerous other events where uh, there are individuals that are drowning or uh, if, if there is a marine incident of any sort. They also respond to train jobs. Person on tracks either uh, run over by a train or, or pinned by a train. Mm-hmm. So we had several that were very successful where our members were operating under the train treating these patients while fire was uh, stabilizing the environment and lifting a train so the individual could be removed, pin jobs, uh, motor vehicle accidents. Right. We do quite a few of those. Collapses, there were several collapses. In fact, yet another great job, a Manhattan collapse. The patient was pinned for quite a long period of time, and it was almost like a scenario that you train for in rescue class. It was difficult to get to, and the patient was accessible from two sides. So you either saw the legs and maybe the, the pelvis of the patient, 
or you had access to the airway. And they ended up sending in two teams for exactly those purposes because you can evaluate. Obviously, you always want to have a handle on an airway. Right having ability to provide treatment on the other side of the patient, so to speak, on a, on a lower part of, uh, um, of the body is also very, very critical. That patient survived as well. So great job by our medics. And just in general, working together with the fire side. The explosions are also a big thing. The Second Avenue train collapse mm-hmm. was also a big job where they were successful in removing this individual. We had a trench job also fairly recently where the person was engulfed waist deep. And again, the medics were working to uh, stabilize that patient while fire was working. When you say stabilize the patient, what type of skills are they doing in this confined space? You know, patient anything, care skills. It would be anything that you can imagine. The only capability that they do not have right now is defibrillation in those oh. environments. But everything else is... So there there. could be intubating a patient, they could be starting IVs, administering medications. Absolutely. Cardiac monitoring, all of that, all of that is being done in those environments. Despite this being a male-dominated profession, as of March 2022, about 26% of EMS are women. Women are joining the force in, in larger numbers, promoting in larger numbers, What would your advice be to a young woman coming in to FDNY EMS and potentially interested or not even fully aware of some of the other job opportunities there are besides being a line EMT or a line paramedic? I would say don't be afraid to take chances. We don't really know what it is that we are capable of. Just keep on going. The biggest problem out there is that some women believe that they can't do it, whether it's hashtag rescue or even paramedics sometimes, or being an officer. They're afraid to take an opportunity because they don't believe that they can do it. It may not even be unique to just women. In general, people might be hesitant to take on a different challenge because they don't believe that they can succeed. But I think that's, that's a limitation that we ourselves put on ourselves. Mm. Give it a shot. What's the worst that can happen? It's not going to work out. You're going to end up doing what you were doing before. And if you loved it to begin with, then it's really no loss. Right. That's a good point. Even if you fail, you could try again. Yeah, you can always try again because you know where you failed. Maybe there's just a slight adjustment that needs to be made. Right. That's a good point. Well, you ended up doing it twice because your certifications expired, right? Did you find it more physically challenging the second time around? Because... You're getting older and, you know. Well, it's funny you say that. (laughs) I did find it a little bit more challenging because I am older. And I remember laying in this, I don't know if it was a trench. I think it was a confined space evolution we were doing. And I was thinking to myself, I'm 40 years old. Why am I doing this to myself? (laughs) But then I was like, ah, (laughs) it's all good. Let's just keep on moving. (laughs) But, um. Some aspects I found just a little bit more challenging. It's a funny story. Somebody offered during the class, I think on a couple of occasions, they offered to carry my PPE bag. Uh-huh. So that's the bag where I have my equipment. Mm-hmm. I understand the whole reasoning behind it. Like, you're an officer, you're a female, you shouldn't be carrying. <laughs> and they did that to me like three or four times. They offered it to me. Mm-hmm. 
And then I finally pulled the, the individual aside and I said, listen, I really appreciate and I know that you mean it with the best, you know, intentions, but I can't have you carry my weight. I have to carry my own weight. I have to lead you. What kind of a leader am I going to be if you're going to do my job for me? Right. And we were cool after that. He hasn't <laughs> offered it since. <laughs> As you take into account your career to date, you have since been promoted to deputy chief. Is there a, a favorite rank that you've had? I had like two favorite ranks. I loved being a medic and I loved being a captain. Not to say that there weren't phenomenal moments as an EMT or a lieutenant or a deputy. But like in my mind, I always compare it. I say that EMT is to lieutenant is as to deputy chief and right. paramedic is as to captain, as to division commander. If you really think about it, in my mind, it makes sense because EMT arrives on scene, starts providing patient care, and then the medic arrives and takes over patient care. It becomes their job, mm -hmm. their patient. Mm -hmm. Kind of the same with the lieutenant. The lieutenant runs a tour, a captain runs a station. So a lieutenant gets to say, my captain wants me to run my tour this way. And then the captain says, this is my station. I'm going to make it mine. Right. This is what I'm all about. Mm -hmm. Let's make it mine. I think it's similar um, as a deputy, you know, as a deputy chief. You're working for a division commander, and division commander says, this is the way I see my division go. Mm -hmm. And as a deputy, you go out there and you realize that vision. But then when you're a division commander, it's your vision. How long have you been in the deputy chief position? Two years. And your most recent assignment is in EMS operations at headquarters. Yes. What's that like? What type of responsibilities do you have? And what prompted you to even pursue this? I never thought specifically about pursuing this particular position. Maybe because there was always somebody in it. And it's just, it's just one. It's not a number of dispositions available, right. the specific positions. So there's always just one individual. I honestly didn't really think about applying for it. And that partially because I was very, very comfortable where I was. I think that's another downfall that we often have. We, we get comfortable in a place and we don't really want to move. So sometimes uprooting the whole thing and changing your routine and uh, trying on new challenges is um, something they would like to pass on. <laughs> I, was, I was sort of offered this position. They asked me if I would be interested. And then when I thought about it, I was like, yeah, I would be. I'd like that. This is something else that I can learn. It, it's the, the background of what EMS operations is doing. So I've been in the field for most of my career. So this is the behind the scenes, the right. behind the scenes that I sort of never knew about mm -hmm. until I came into this position. And uh, I'm loving every minute of it. I'm learning all about all these things that go behind the scene from vehicles to ALS coordinators to equipment to human resources orders, whatever the case may be. So it's all very, very different. Mm -hmm. But uh, I like learning about how things work behind the scenes. Right. So. I think it's yet another good decision and another reason for every woman out there to take a chance. I agree. Know. I mean, I encourage people, men and women, to diversify their skill set within the realm of being an EMT or a paramedic or any of the ranks that you might promote to. I think that the more varied the experiences you have on this job, the better employee 
the better leader. Absolutely. You just have to take a chance. Yes, you do have to take a chance. You have to say yes, and you have to somewhat embrace being uncomfortable for a period of time while you're learning that new role, right? I think we thrive when we are uncomfortable. Well, I thrive when I'm uncomfortable. It pushes me to do better. I can't do it if I'm stagnant. That's a good point. Now, you've been managing this career, your career advancements, your education as a parent, and that's not unique. But what advice would you give to a parent who's trying to have this work and personal life balance and also pursue higher ranks, which becomes more and more challenging? What advice would you give? Don't be afraid to take a chance. It's not always easy. I've missed holidays. I try not to miss birthdays, but that did happen on occasion. You know, this job is just, not only did it change me, but it makes me appreciate certain things. Sometimes coming home and hugging my kids, you know, maybe after I did this bad MVA and somebody else's child died. So it gives you an appreciation that I think some people may not have. Not to say that they don't love their kids, but uh, there's something to be said for um, seeing a traumatic event and then coming home and being able to hold your own family. And it's not always easy. It's always challenging, especially for uh, uh, single parents out there, balancing childcare and uh, the needs, because you always still want to provide for your family and give them a comfortable living. Mm -hmm. And it's difficult to find balance. You know, because you either work more overtime or you spend more time with your kids. And I think it's dependent on an individual and uh, the support system they may have. Mm -hmm. So I was fortunate to have a support system behind me. I was able to uh, sometimes work this extra shift or sometimes be able to be home with my kids. But uh, the bottom line is don't be afraid to take a chance. There is always going to be a change. And if you're unwilling to make changes, you will not move up because moving up requires change mm -hmm. and courage right. and dedication and hard work. Can you tell us about one of the happiest experiences that you've had on the job? That's a kind of difficult question. What is the happiest moment? There are many great moments. I think probably the overall feeling that makes me happy is the feeling of waking up in the morning and saying, I love my job. You know, sometimes when you're driving down the street and you see all these people line up in a bus stop and they all look miserable, mm. and you think to <laughs> myself, I'm lucky, I love my job. <laughs> I'm not one of them. So um, that's an overall happy feeling. But there are many feelings that just leave a good sense behind. I have a, uh, a friend and a job who I met, she wasn't even on the job then. I remember I was, a, I was a medic in Staten Island and she was like super, super young. <laughs> she was doing ride-alongs on a non-911 providing ambulance company. So they were just doing transports from one hospital to another. Mm -hmm. And uh, she ended up coming up to me and she was like, oh, that's so cool. I'm hoping to one day be in the fire department, be a paramedic. She's a rescue medic right now. Yeah. And I couldn't be prouder. I think she's just awesome, awesome, awesome. So that's like one of those highs for me. Right. Is that, uh, you know, she, she took a step and she continued taking steps. <laughs> Sometimes with a little bit of pushing. You can do it. Just like I can do it. You can do it. <laughs> and for our listeners, if that's an inspiring story for you, go to 
joinfdny.com so you can find out how to join FDNY EMS. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for your candor and sharing your experiences with our listeners. Thank you. I appreciate it. It was a pleasure being here and seeing you. Likewise. Thank you for listening to this episode of the FDNY Pro Podcast. I'm Chief of Staff Elizabeth Cassio. For more training and information from our department's subject matter experts, go to fdnypro.org. FDNY Pro is online at fdnypro.org. Subscribe today and get inside access to the FDNY. Learn more about our publications, professional conferences, and other tools for first responders. Train with New York's Bravest.